Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, US Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And John, another week, another DraftKings contest controversy. DraftKings runs survivor pools or elimination pools, depending on which terminology you prefer, in the states in which DK Sportsbook is legal. And this past Sunday, after the Steelers and Lions slogged their way to a 16-16 tie, the DraftKings tech showed that the numerous people who picked Pittsburgh had advanced to week 11, and someone at DraftKings social media confirmed that. But the rules, at least for the $333 buy-in contest, stated clearly that ties count as losses. After two days of uncertainty, DraftKings finally decided to follow its own rules and eliminate the players. But at least two of those eliminated players told Sports Handle's Jeff Edelstein that their accounts had been loaded with $5,000 in site credit as an olive branch. John, is it time to just start entering every DraftKings contest, no matter the cost, and hope for a screw-up and some free money? Yeah, I see what you did there, Eric. Uh, after we talked a week or two ago about the free roll of that $10,000 entry free uh, National Sports Betting Championship and uh, hosted in Weehawken, as I visited, but uh, right. uh, held in many other states. Um, you know, I mean, Survivor Pool is so basic that really, what contingencies do you have to watch for if you run a contest? I think number one, and this is now more obvious in the COVID era, is what to do if a game is canceled, right? Mm-hmm. So somehow it could be, you know, act of God or whatever right. um, disease. So some selectors chose a team which didn't lose but didn't win. So you therefore either clarify the selectors, they lose because their team didn't win, they didn't play, or perhaps say the owner, maybe they survive but have to choose two teams the following week while others only need to pick one. That would mm-hmm. be an option, right? And then there's the event of a tie, as we have here. And I saw that you tweeted that. If the game is called Survivor, it does sort of feel as if the only teams that don't survive are the ones that lose. I get that. Um, but still, there has to be spelled out rules and you have to follow your own rules. And I'm at a loss as to how this happened with the two days of uncertainty, to be honest. I mean, their own rules say that you tie, you lose. Yeah. Yep. Uh, it should be as simple as that. And that you can, whoever screwed up on social media or whatever, you quickly just say, oops, sorry, we messed up. And um, I'm, I'm sort of surprised by the amount that they are paying people off to be happy about this. I mean, uh, I, I know DraftKings, uh, you know, uh, they're, they're okay with that whole not being profitable. You got to spend money to make money <laughs> attitude, but they're taking it a little far at this point. Um, I think, you know, your $333 entry by the rules is supposed to be worth zero. Now 5k is a lot. If, if I'd been one of those entrants who picked Pittsburgh, I would have thought 
$500 would have been plenty fair. I, I think that that would have been more than satisfactory. But uh, yeah, I'm glad to hear that you're uh, reading my tweets uh, carefully. And uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's how I feel that it should be the ties do advance. If I were making the rules, it's called Survivor. And the idea is to survive and not losing uh, is is surviving to me. But either way, whatever whatever your rules are, the rules should spell it out. And then you follow those rules and there's no controversy. Yeah, I like my twist, though, to say you, mm-hmm. we both agree you don't lose. It's Survivor. You survived. But you got to make two picks the following week. So you're, you're a little bit penalized because your team didn't win, but you're not actually knocked out of the contest. I, I think I made that one up myself and nobody else has it. But <laughs> anybody's free to take I didn't trademark or anything. So. Yeah, no, I think that's a very fair rule, and it should be in the in the bylaws. And of course, there are there are some of these huge survivor contests that like are free to enter, and so tens of thousands of people enter them, and they don't eliminate everyone over the course of seventeen weeks or mm-hmm. or uh, or eighteen weeks now, I guess. But um, so what some of those contests do is, as it gets deeper, they start making everybody pick two teams in e- in each week. Uh, uh, or or I've seen some that like throw in an extra tough game like you you have your normal pick but also here's this game that only has a one point spread this week you have to pick even though even if you've already picked these teams previously in the survivor pool in addition to passing your choice this week you have to p- pass this test as well make it really difficult to weed them out but um so it's so you did not invent the idea of making two picks in a single week uh, okay. but i do think i do think you invented the idea of if you get a tie you have to make two the next week i've never heard that before and i like that rule All right, let's go with that one. All right. Thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 169 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 168 episodes, they're all available on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. And this is, starting today, a Survivor podcast. You must give us a five-star rating or else you can't advance to the next episode. I love that idea. Yeah. (laughs) And coming up a little later on the show, we're going to be joined by David Reebuck, the Division of Gaming Enforcement Director in New Jersey, uh, the state that has replaced Nevada, of course, as the uh, betting capital of the United States. We're going to ask David about the record sports betting numbers, New Jersey's success with online casinos, operators that limit betting amounts and much more. But first, it's been a, I would say, typically busy week in the world of gambling. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. Let's start off the news segment this week with a topic that partially overlaps with what we'll be talking to David Reebuck about, and that's record October sports betting numbers. You'll recall that in September, New Jersey set a new record for any state in any month with $1.01 billion in handle, and to the surprise of nobody, that record didn't last long, as the DGE announced Wednesday a new record of $1.3 billion for October. The other states that have shared October numbers thus far are also reporting state records, including Pennsylvania with $776 million, breaking the previous record of $615 million, Indiana, where $461 million was the amount wagered, topping the previous high of $355 million, and Tennessee, where the record was $257 million, now it's $375 million. The national total for September isn't finalized yet because Illinois always takes so long to report, but we know it's over $5 billion, and the odds currently look very strong that October will top $6 billion. There are other topics we could be discussing here, uh, records in online casino revenue in New Jersey and Pennsylvania, overall gaming revenue highs. 
some mixed results in terms of sports betting revenue on those record handle figures. But let's focus for the moment on just that sports betting handle. It played out exactly as Captain Jack said it would a few weeks ago on this podcast. John, what numbers stand out to you? And do you expect the October records to last any longer than the September records did? Uh, no. And, uh, you know, there are 9.3 million people residing in New Jersey per the 2020 census, but only 6 million of them are age 20 when I rover. I discovered it after nearly a full minute of internet research. <laughs> so, so if they each bet a hundred dollars in October, I believe that gets us to $600 million. So everybody bet just over 20 bucks, uh, in October, except my friends at Nielsen report that only one third of Americans are interested in sports betting. So if New Jersey is not an outlier now, everyone over 21, it was any interest in New Jersey must've bet 60 bucks in the state in October, except even if only half of the adult population didn't place a single bet, that's probably higher than that, then everybody else had to bet 120 bucks a piece last month, except cheap bastards like me who bet on sports <laughs> don't even risk that much in 31 days. So if I only risked 40 bucks last month, somebody else had to risk 200 bucks to make up for me. And then there's the whole, you know, New Yorkers betting too, which cuts into the total, but not that much, really. I think the bottom line is a lot of people I know must be A, betting at all. I don't know about it, which would include about 20 close family members who live in the state. And B, if they do bet, it's probably for a lot more than I can imagine. I mean, New Jersey is the most affluent state by some measures. That's one thing. But holy hell, do we like to gamble? <laughs> and by the way, the October online casino revenue in New Jersey was 50% higher than the sports betting revenue. And Atlantic City Retail Casino was higher than both of those sources combined. I mean, my mind is officially boggled. People gamble a lot here in Jersey. <laughs> that they do. Looking at just those October numbers, um, Captain Jack definitely knows what he's talking about because he pointed out that October was going to be a perfect storm of A, having five weekends, mm. and B, betters doing really well overall the first two or three weeks, which isn't great for revenue, but it does really juice the handle. You know, some betters, when they win, they withdraw some money. Most betters, when they win, <laughs> they make more bets. Um, yes, they do. So, so I actually, I think this this record could hold up for a little while. I mean, I think the number has to come down in November in, in most States, you know, we got four, only four weekends. Uh, we've had some good weeks for the books already. I think we're going to be right back to sweating out that billion dollar over <laughs> under in New Jersey in November. Um, and December also has only four weekends. So if I had to predict, I'd say October will remain the record for a couple of months, both, both nationally and in most States. I wonder about January. Maybe January can top it with playoff football. Um, nationally, uh, there's that faint whiff of a chance of New York Mobile launching late in the month of January. Highly unlikely. I know you're you're more down on it than anyone, but uh, but it's not impossible. Uh, so that uh, that that could make January nationally the record month if that happens. But um, it's also possible that at least for New Jersey. $1.3 billion is as high as it ever gets, uh, which, you know, certainly no shame in that if, if, if that turns out to be the case. It's an enormous number. But with New York getting close to launching, if, they, if New Jersey doesn't top this in the next few months, it might never top it. I'm not 100% proud of how much we bet here in New Jersey, but uh, <laughs> it is, a, it is a, a remarkable number. And there's a mixed bag on how wonderful or not wonderful that is, but it is big. <laughs> well, you do a good job in the uh, work slack of whether it's faux pride or real pride, I can't tell. <laughs> but but you do like to uh, snarkily comment on other states and how uh, how poorly they measure up against New Jersey. Yeah, we, we do... Uh... 
we do bet a lot. I don't again. I don't. I don't. I can't quite get my head around that. I, I don't know what it is. Some people are betting so much money, and and I kind of fall back to that most affluent state thing because I, I I get scared a little bit. Like, oh my god, people are betting so much money, but you know, it's a fairly wealthy state. I hope everybody can afford it. That's all. Right. All right. Uh, moving on, the World Series of Poker main event came down to a 31-year-old German pro with more than $12 million in live earnings and a 49-year-old amateur from Atlanta with exactly one previous live cash on his resume. Uh, the pro, Corey Aldemir, led throughout the final table, but the so-called home game hero, George Holmes, hung tough and briefly took a small chip lead before eventually relenting late Wednesday night, losing with top pair against two pair, making Aldemir the 2021 world champ and $8 million richer, while Holmes takes home $4.3 million. Uh, even though he's a respected pro, Aldemir wasn't a big name before this. And in fact, no big names made it very deep this year. Uh, My Guy Moneymaker finished 260th out of 6,650. And there wasn't anyone half as famous as him who did better than that. Still, the tournament is a success just for happening. Uh, Although there were some COVID outbreaks reported toward the end of the series, there's been speculation that the influx of international travelers might have played into it, or people were faking their vaccination status, or it was just the law of averages catching up with the WSOP due to how contagious the Delta variant is. Um, Two other subtopics to discuss. This was only televised live on the subscription service Poker Go, but an edited version will air on CBS Sports Network in a few weeks. And this was the final year for the World Series at the Rio, where it's been since 2005. Uh, Starting next year, it will move to two sites on the Strip, Bally's and Paris. Uh, John, let me get your thoughts on any of that. Uh, and, and and how big of a missed opportunity is this for poker to not have the amateur everyman American George Holmes win it all? Oh, yeah, I'm exactly the casual potential audience here that if I hear that tomorrow is going to be some sort of showdown you described in the intro of this like amateur against the pro and all that, I'm absolutely going to tune in for that. I, I would be very interested but you know having nobody of note really even get to the final table is a problem uh, purely from a tv production standpoint and not for poker purists i'd want there to be funnels of players i'm guaranteed like a final table of at least one total legend one second tier person a couple of journeymen like our winner and so forth uh i'd be much more interested in that i mean again it's not it's not pure to the laws of poker but right. that's what i would tune in for uh, you know have kind of a bracket where you know the, the we've had several hall of famers on our podcast obviously you know one of them you know I, maybe the, the the leading hall of fame player in chips when they're eliminated is is automatically put in the final table even though they're you know coming 222nd or whatever so uh, again that's uh, that's uh, appalling to poker purists but <laughs> yes, that's the is. kind of thing that would make me watch <laughs> Okay. Um, it's, it's a creative idea, but yeah, as in terms of the uh, com- competitive nature of the way the <laughs> tournament works, it goes, it flies in the face of everything it's about. Yeah. But, um, you know, at one point, George Holmes was down to one big blind. Um, that is crazy that he came back from one big blind mm-hmm. to finish second. You obviously need a lot of luck in that situation because you are automatically all in against multiple other players mm-hmm. a couple of times before you have enough chips to start even making any decisions again. So he had some pure luck that got him out of the danger zone but man it would have been huge if Holmes had won um there's nothing wrong with Aldemir winning of course but think how many more headlines you would have woken up to on Thursday morning if the 
especially in the U.S., if an American amateur, 49-year-old African-American home game player took on the best in the world, was down to one big blind, won it all. I mean, there will never be another moneymaker effect exactly, but that's close in terms of people paying attention to poker and, and watching the edited broadcast in a few weeks to see how he did it and Dreamers heading out to Vegas next year to become the next George Holmes. Uh, they were real close to having that perfect scenario and it didn't quite uh, pan out. Yeah. You, you can't beat the name moneymaker though. I mean, uh, right. <laughs> the pe- people write books about such things. I mean, it's, it's so, it's so perfect really that, uh, you know, there's no topping it. So that's the only thing, but yeah, it would, it would have been cool. And, and, and like you say, the way you're describing it, I, I might even watch that even knowing who, who won, if he won, but uh, I'm not going to watch this version. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I mean, look, it's not right. It's not a guy named Moneymaker winning all the money, but a guy <laughs> named Holmes who came from home games, you know, it kind of okay. works. There's a little something <laughs> okay. there. Um, two, two other quick things worth noting. Uh, first, the main event is over, but the World Series itself is not. There are other tournaments still going on and, uh, and still starting, and, and the whole thing doesn't end completely until next Tuesday. Uh, and the other thing I want to note is that 2021's Poker Hall of Fame inductee was just announced on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. It is Elia Lezra, veteran in cash game and tournament player from Israel. I've met and interviewed Ellie a handful of times. Extremely nice guy. Very happy for him. I mean, there were a lot of worthy nominees this year and, and plenty of them would have been deserving, but uh, Ellie Lesra is an excellent choice. All right. Congratulations, Ellie. Yep. All right. Uh, For our third news story this week, let's check in on California. Uh, New York and Florida have been getting more headlines lately because they've actually launched or are close to launching mobile sports betting. But California remains the ultimate tipping point state with its population of 39.7 million people. This week, Temecula, California, played host to the National Indian Gaming Association, or NIGA Mid-Year Conference. And as our colleague Jill Dorson wrote on Sports Handle, the big story was not necessarily what was said, but what was implied by the presence of both DraftKings executive Jeremy Elbaum and FanDuel executive Jonathan Edson at the conference. There are numerous competing interests in California. There are three different sports betting initiatives jockeying for a possible spot on the November 2022 ballot. And the question looming over everything is whether the tribes and the commercial operators can coexist and get on the same page. And if they do, if they come up with a proposal together, that might totally shut out another group, the card rooms. Uh, There's also the question, though, of whether all the tribes are united on how to approach sports betting. So Still many moving parts and no hard news this week. Uh, But what do you take away from NIGA, John, in terms of whether we're headed toward the big commercial sports betting operators working with the tribes to get a single initiative on that 2022 ballot? Uh, I mean, I I think my main and possibly ill-informed takeaway is I think the card rooms are doomed. I mean, California tribes and national sportsbook operators are each too big to fail and card rooms are not. Uh, the other is I learned how complicated this can be. You know, Connecticut has two federally recognized tribes and each has a massive casino, as many people know. Colorado and Alabama, for instance, they each have one. Uh, big states like Pennsylvania, Ohio, Illinois, even New Jersey, they don't have any. Um, California, Jill notes there are more than 100 federally recognized tribes mm. out of nearly 600 in the United States. And note to self, don't apply for the new Alaska betting beat. Uh, when it comes along, because there are more than 200 recognized tribes there. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So a pass on that hard pass. So when 43 tribes last month announced they opposed both the card room referendum and the one backed by DraftKings and FanDuel, I mean, that's a lot, but it, it's hardly unanimous. So 
But I mean, the big sportsbook operators in the California tribes, I mean, that seems to me like King Kong versus Godzilla. I mean, territory, really. It, it's, uh, I think the best bet to me seems like both will win. But if there's only one winner, I'll bet on the, the tribes, I think. Okay, interesting. Um, I mean, we live in interesting times and and we are covering the sports betting world at a time that just never stops being interesting. Yeah. Just just to have New York, Florida and California balls in the air all at once. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Um, it's fascinating to see how much push and pull there has been in each of those states over how it's run how many operators there are, et cetera. I mean, Florida launched amid a flurry of lawsuits. Uh, New York has proven to be a fascinating battleground for operators. Mm -hmm. And then California is is the golden goose. Uh, It would be a relief to see the operators and the tribes work something out and have it be very inclusive and and not have the battle ongoing up through launch like it is with the messy backroom way Florida got done. Um, But maybe that's a little overly optimistic. I, I think the odds are good that California will be messy in some regard. How messy? I don't know. I guess the messier it is, the more there is for us to write about and talk about. So, so there's that. But as long as things are moving forward in some capacity, it's good by me. Yeah, I want to salute the Texas legislature, which meets every other year. Um, so that's the fourth and, and final big right. state uh, conundrum. And thankfully, we don't have to worry about them at the moment. I mean, this is a little bit uh, hectic right now. These other big three are kind of moving along at the same time. And uh, I really want to stretch this out for a number of years, Eric. I don't have that many more years to retire. And I'd like to <laughs> like do like one of these per year. And then eventually, uh, you know, I'll sell off into the sunset <laughs> as uh, 46 states or whatever finally <laughs> have sports betting. Uh, it's working out nicely, though, in the last three years. It's uh, a little bit fast now. we got 29 states, I think. And right. We got a couple more about to launch. I mean, we're we're trying to move, we're moving a little bit too fast for my taste, but that's okay. I can live with it. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you on uh, on Texas. We we don't need them getting involved right th- at this moment. Uh, they can <laughs> yeah, hold, hold your horses, Texas, to uh, make uh, sort of go. an obvious nice. joke. Yeah, very nice. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the gamble on interview. It was almost exactly 10 years ago that David Rebuff was sworn in as director of the New Jersey Division of Gaming Enforcement. And as I think our audience is aware, it has been a busy 10 years for the DGE. Much has changed and evolved in New Jersey gaming over the past decade, building up to the moment just before this interview when the state announced a record $1.3 billion in sports betting handle in a single month. So we have quite a lot to talk to our guest about. Uh, David, thanks so much for joining us on Gamble On. Thanks, Eric. Pleasure to be here, and uh, good to see you and John. Yeah, uh, Dave, Dave, I want to ask you one uh, particular question uh, going back a ways. We'll talk about sports betting a lot, obviously, but, sure. you know, nine or ten years ago, uh, lawmakers got it in their heads. They wanted to have try an online casino gaming, and, you know, the one particular catch was that you know nobody had done this in the U.S., so uh, I think uh, the law directed you and your department. You got six months or eight months, whatever it was, and um, I haven't never really asked you about the nuts and bolts of that, of, you know, did that seem like in a possibly short amount of time at first? Did you have any idea? Was it more or less difficult? than you kind of expected? I mean, you have a brave new world. I'm wondering how you did it. Yeah, I mean, it, back in 2012, uh, the legislature led that initiative to assist the casinos because it was uh, online gambling through the casinos in Atlantic City mm-hmm. to give them um, another tool in their arsenal to uh, to go out and offer gaming to people in in the in New Jersey. And uh, 
you know, Nevada already had a, what they only, re, what I refer to as online poker. They didn't have a, an extensive array of casino games, but they did have online poker. And the state of Delaware also was uh, actually ready to roll out the full series of games online. So uh, we really didn't have a lot of uh, opportunity to look to an existing operation in the United States, right, that we could um, build upon to, to essentially create an online gaming opportunity for the casinos in New Jersey. So uh, in the legislature's infinite wisdom, they gave us nine months okay. to essentially take from the passing of the bill and the law, it was signed into law by Governor Christie, and uh, to implement it by October of uh, 2013. So um, it was a challenge, a big challenge, because we were very fearful of making a mistake that would um, develop a system or procedures or operations that essentially failed because uh, the consumers wouldn't uh, be trusting of what was offered to them as a game. And we were also concerned that there were a number of hurdles that um, we were very concerned about implementing as a regulator, one being the Wire Act and not allowing people from outside the state of New Jersey to wager in New Jersey at the casinos. And the second we recognized fairly early on is that traditional gaming over time is a very cash heavy, you know, way of gaming. Uh, cashless systems were not in operation in New Jersey. Uh, we authorized cashless systems in the retail setting in 2011, but by 2012 and 13, no one had implemented any of them. And, uh, and we were very concerned too with the payment processing community because essentially the banks, the credit card industries and the banks working together were very leery about using, uh, having people gamble online. Okay, because they would be using their debit card, credit card, and those banks that have issuing credit cards or debit cards were just not going to do it. They weren't going to accept the wager uh, because the mercantile codes that would have authorized that at the time didn't exist. And so that was a huge hurdle. So, yeah, it was a big challenge. But I, I have to tell you that I had a great staff at the time, and um, many of the names of people who were engaged in this challenging action with us, some are still with us and others have left. But, you know, from, a, from the legal side, you have people like, uh, at the time, Assistant Attorney General George Rover. You had uh, Assistant Attorney General Lou Rigaki, and you also had Chuck Kimmel, who I keep referencing as a DAG, as the godfather of Internet gaming regulations. And then on the technical side, you had skills there that just were astronomically beneficial. And we had people like Bob Moncrief who left us, Eric Weiss, who's now left us, Shane Lascari, Rodney Rickenbach are still here. And then, uh, and you know, we just had people step up all over the place to really work hard. And it was, it was, there were some long nights and there were certainly some long days and it was very stressful. And, um, we also were fortunate enough where we were, we went out and traveled to the European countries, mm. uh, meeting with the European companies who are engaged in online gambling in Europe, and also the regulators in Europe, essentially the United Kingdom and other countries that we felt maybe doing it the right way. And yeah. uh, 
you know, the, the challenge we had was it could have been very easy to just flip a switch and allow for the online gaming that was going on in Europe to be operational in New Jersey, the internet, right? So we made a decision very early on that not going to happen. We weren't real comfortable with the U.S. market being on the cutting edge. They weren't ready. And the European market was um, engaged in practices that uh, their culture and their norms would permit. And the United States culture and New Jersey culture just wouldn't accept because of our laws and, and the people here. So, and essentially we had to develop a new system and, uh, and uh, you know, it worked at the end of the day. Um, we made some mistakes, but overall, I think uh, it, it, it worked well for us. And uh, I can assure you that when I was walking in, checking all the casinos that were going live that night uh, with Eric Weiss actually at my side, um, I didn't overcome my nervousness that it was going to work until we went to the last one. And guess what? It was working. <laughs> yeah. Could you just tell me, did it help a little bit? Did you decide early on that not every operator was going to be live on the same day, that that was not realistic? And did that help or did that come later in the process? I mean, something you wish for in a fantasy world, but it, in, it probably in, wouldn't have been realistic. In hindsight, I should have done that. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I was, you know, you know me by now, John, you're yep. a Jersey guy. We're pretty aggressive. And I basically with my staff, met with every casino and said, uh, this is the date you can go live by. If you're not ready, you're not going live. Mm -hmm. So it was a common date for everybody to, to pass through our regulations, pass through our testing to go live. And I can honestly say that they all went live at the same time. Um, one casino, which I will not get into, uh, there's a whole story there that people will talk about, um, struggled. And after probably two days of operating online, uh, I shut them down and uh, made them go back to square one. And uh, they just needed more time to get their act together. And I can honestly say today that it served them well because today, when you fast forward to 2021, uh, they're one of the top operators today. So they had a lesson learned. I learned something that I was too aggressive. And so, yeah, we shut them down after 48 hours and it just wasn't working to our standards. Let's put it that way. So uh, sports waging a little different. That's but for online gambling. Yeah, it all had a common start date and uh, it was nine months to the day. So again, that day was well known. And I'll never forget. We had one casino, very large international casino. Many properties in the United States CEO came up to me early on and said, you're never going to get this done. You can't get this done. And when I went back to staff, you know, I was like, well, we're going to give it our best effort. I wasn't going to get in his face, but I was furious. And when I went back to the office, I said to everybody, we're going to get this done in nine months. Because I'm going to send an email to this guy and I won't <laughs> use the words I used in front of my staff and said, you ready now? Because I'm ready. And uh, I enjoyed that day when I could email him back. So, uh, uh, but anyway, that's the story of it. I mean, I've told it many times, but, you know, John, we fast forward today. You just saw the record for online gambling, casino yep. gambling. Yep. And John, you remember writing stories about this. I mean, some of the predictions early on, what does the, the nature of this business would be a billion dollars a year, million dollars a year in gross gaming revenue. 
we obviously weren't even close to that on the first <laughs> first year, first two years. And, you know, we we're always getting criticized. Oh, who came up with those estimates? And of course, I'll take the fall and say, oh, I came up with that estimate. I really thought, but, you know, really. Um, but today, after the month of October, after the month of October, two months left in the calendar year, cumulative gross gaming revenue in online gambling is now $1.12 billion in gross gaming revenue. Amazing. Amazing. So yeah. whoever made the estimate, because it wasn't me, because I can't take credit for it, but even though <laughs> I took the fall for it, they were right. And, uh, you know, we're going to be a little higher than a billion dollars with two more months to go. Uh, and I don't think the, the betting public is going to win back that much money. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, in hindsight, it's something I think my staff is very proud of. And the challenge we have now is, just got to keep it going because there's always something as you guys know unique challenging it's never dull in the gaming industry something's going to come up that's you got to stay focused on and you got to make adjustments and you got to stay current and uh it's really tough in this technology world it really is i mean stuff that you deal with at times you just shake your head and go wow i never thought of that but uh where we are today with the great support we had from the administration and the legislature to make it happen, it wouldn't happen without their support. And, uh, and we've been very fortunate with tremendous support over that 10 year period of time. And that makes me happy too. So on to the next challenge. Well, well, speaking, uh, David, of, of some of those uh, huge, huge numbers that uh, New Jersey is putting up, uh, you were talking about the online casino front, but uh, in September, New Jersey became the first state with a billion dollars in sports betting handle in a single month. And then in October, as I mentioned when I was introducing you, New Jersey hit $1.3 billion. Did you foresee this level of growth when no. you first started giving sportsbooks the okay in 2018? No, okay. And, and then the other question I'm curious is, does it matter at all to you that New Jersey is the nation's number one sports betting state, or is that sort of thing neither here nor there to you as a regulator? Listen, as a regulator, um, I made a commitment very on, early on to Governor Christie, and I also made a commitment to Governor Murphy when, um, I'm, as I've been working with him, that New Jersey is going to be the leader in the industry, not just handle, but we're going to be the leader in the industry and even worldwide to tell people how to effectively and thoroughly oversee this industry, sports wagering that is. And I've said this before to John, I've said it to others. If you measure a person's success or a jurisdiction's success by just handle, then um, I think you're missing the big picture. New Jersey should not be the leader in the United States on sports wagering handle. There's reasons why we are today. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of reasons, but as we all know, gambling is successful where you have a large population base. And New Jersey is like, I think we're the 11th largest state in population. We may even slip to 12, but for other states who have millions and millions of more residents, residents, than we do, um, they should be in a strong position to surpass New Jersey in the future. And and if you have states coming on like New York, possibly Florida, you know, California's a way off, but you know, they're they're looking. Mm -hmm. Illinois, Michigan, all larger, Pennsylvania, these are all operational states um, that um, 
in sports wagering and even online gambling for some of them that um, should be very successful for handle at some point in time. And I'm good friends with a lot of the regulators in these um, jurisdictions. They share information with me. I share information with them. Our uniform goal is to essentially effectively, efficiently implement standards procedures that work for all of us. And um, I'm more than happy to copy something that's working in Illinois that I don't have in New Jersey if it's going to make our product or offering that much better. But my mission has always been, we're going to be the top dog. If you're going to hold yourself as a top, top regulator or a top overseer at that pinnacle, you better deliver on that promise. And the only way you can deliver on that promise is by ensuring your staff understands the mission and how we need to work together to push the envelope to be that much better. So, you know, in the future, I fully expect somebody to pass this in handle, you know, uh, they should. And uh, I remember laughing with one of, uh, one of, one of my uh, bosses saying, well, uh, maybe I ought to go to uh, California and I guarantee you we'll pass New Jersey in a heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's so. But uh, <laughs> I don't like California, so I'll probably just uh, stay here in New Jersey and uh, <laughs> and keep us uh, doing as well as we can for a while. But uh, yeah. handle is one thing. But again, that's that's not a regulator's goal at the end of the day. Right. Gotcha. Okay. Now, David, you hear from a lot of these regulators, like you say, you know, I think 29 states have legalized sports betting. And you've probably heard from somebody, a lawmaker, a regulator, both, maybe all of them and other states, too, that are thinking about coming aboard. But I'm curious, you know, the, the results we know are that a majority of states have sports betting and only a handful of states have online casino, even though we know that online casino brings in more revenue and uh, therefore more tax revenue to the state. So I'm curious if the the interest you're getting from out of state people matches this disconnect between sports betting and online casino, or are they curious about online casino in general? You're right, John. I mean, online casino is uh, was really only operational today in six states. Um, now, if you add the lottery states, right, we've talked about this before. If you add the lottery states where the online casino is buried in the state lottery's operations online with selling lottery tickets, then that's going to increase a bit. So there's probably another half dozen states that offer online casino, but they just call it lottery game. All right. But it's, it's not a traditional lottery as we all think of it with, you know, Powerball and uh, uh, Mega Millions. So there are probably a small percentage of states in the country that offer casino games online when you compare the two. And, you know, the tribal lands have been a little slow getting into this and um, online, that is. Uh, for obvious reasons, with their compacts with their states, but they would have the ability to, if they have statewide jurisdiction for these games, to really do well too. So, I, for online casino gambling, yes, it's it's still very much in its infancy stages. Even though when I just <laughs> notified you what the numbers are, yeah. um, I would think some in the governments or the tribal lands would begin to look at it very seriously to say, wait a second maybe we should be in this uh, to diversify what we do today in our jurisdiction. But um, it's a challenge. Uh, sports wagering in our culture as a country uh, is 
more easily adaptable by a legislator to his constituency than online gambling and casino gambling, even though the success of sports wagering very much is through online wagering on the on sporting events. Mm. And I think part of this will take more uh, in the way of educating people on the safeguards and on the uh, protections that are built into systems. Um, clearly, it's going on illegally today in those states that don't have it. I mean, <laughs> I constantly tell other legislators who ask me about this, well, go home tonight to your family and um, if you have a child under the age of 18, tell them, well, go online and see if you can put a bet on poker or on uh, blackjack or even play a slot machine in your state because I guarantee you, you'll be able to. And that, that's, that's still there. And that's always that's actually still a challenge in New Jersey a little, competing with the, what I'll call the black market. Um, so, you know, like anything else in government, People are a little more conservative, um, more readily adaptable to sports wagering. It's now part of, you know, you can you negate the numbers. I mean, it's it's continuing to grow and will continue to grow at astronomical levels. And uh, I think the other will drag along. It'll come. And, uh, you know, because there's just too much money to be made by somebody. Okay. Whether it's the state, whether it's the tribe, whether it's an operator. Uh, there's a lot of money out there and it's successful. And like I said, I think it's very well regulated. You cannot be anonymous when you gamble online. Uh, you can maybe steal somebody's identity. You can maybe hide behind somebody who's a front for you. But to think that uh, a person who's under the age of 21 is able to readily go on and gamble in their own name. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. They're going to have to. They're going to have to lie, steal, or engage in some conduct that allows them to engage in things that is essentially illegal. So, or somebody's been grossly negligent in allowing them to use their identity to gamble in their on the, in their own name. So, synergy between sports and online in New Jersey, John and Eric. Absolutely. I mean. I really do believe that when you have both side by side, it drives up the handle in both. Yeah. Um, as we know, sports, there's a lot of downtime in the United States. Content does not allow you to play 24 seven by any means. Uh, online it does. So, you know, with that, there's also challenges to ensure that those who are vulnerable or are unable to handle it um, are um, protected. And that's, that's going to be a big challenge for us. It has been, it's a commitment on our part. And, uh, you know, I, we've had a lot of dialogues right now with the industry and with others to build in safeguards that aren't existing today that we believe will benefit the industry as well as protect those who are vulnerable. Gotcha. From, or at least we do it. Let's put it this way. Reduce the risk. Okay. I don't think I can ever be a hundred percent sure, but right. I do believe we, we can implement standards that will reduce the risk right beyond what we have today 
So uh, ju- jumping back to sports wagering, uh, this wasn't entirely by design, but it seems that John is asking online casino questions and I'm asking sports betting <laughs> questions. But so coming back, right, to you're sports the expert, bet- Eric. John John knows more about sports than I do, so he could maybe be director of gaming enforcement sometime because you know, he knows the knowledge of guy on sports, you, you, especially you want- in New Jersey. You want that gig eventually, John? I, I don't know. Um, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> so, so David, maybe the most consistent consumer criticism I've heard since sports betting began in New Jersey has been about operators limiting betters. Yeah. What is the DG's position on this? Do do operators have full discretion, and and if not, how do these issues get addressed by the department? Yeah, well, it's a it's a tricky situation because the operators, obviously, we have so many of them that um, they obviously can't ban somebody from gambling, even if they quote they're a skilled operator. The only way you can ban somebody from gambling is by uh, excluding them through a formal process we have, or uh, they self-exclude themselves because of, you know, they have issues associated with their concerns of not wanting to gamble online. So the operators have definitely put in restrictions to limit people because they essentially don't want the person's business anymore. But they know they can't ban them um, because there's our law doesn't allow them to do that. There has to be an issue associated with why a person's banned. You see it in a casino, person is a defiant trespasser or engaged in inappropriate conduct or is doing something illegal or doing something that's extremely disruptive to the operation of the retail establishment. Same thing can play out on the online side. There's there could be a hostile environment where the person is calling the operator and complaining and threatening their life. And, you know, that's different, but I, I mean, I'm just saying that there are standards in play where a person is banned. Okay. And what you're talking about is a commercial decision by then operator to say, okay, this guy's been beating us and beating us and beating us. And we don't know why. And uh, we're going to be, we're going to just be more conservative in what we allow that person to wager. And my response to that person is um, you basically got about 30 other websites you can go to um, see what you can do. Uh, So I don't think it's as big. I mean, I hear about it. You know, I don't know if it's as big an issue as others make it out to be. And I say it for this reason, because if you're that successful. And there's that many people that think they're that successful in sports wagering then the sports wagering companies shouldn't be making all the money they're making. Okay, so I'm sure there's some people that are very skilled and very talented in what they do. But I think there's some puffing by others that you're really not that good. And you're probably at the end of the day, either just breaking even or making a little bit of money. So, you know, yeah, there are some really talented people out there and in their ability to uh, to to win and beat the house. Uh, But um, that was also also true, Eric, in the retail environment. And then over time you know, certainly games, you would see how a person was beating you because the house would give you more comps or more credit. And the odds went in the favor of the house to almost bring breaking even so that the player could win. And the house is smart enough to realize that I got to take a look at this guy or gal. And because uh, they don't like losing money either. So I hear it, but it's really not an issue that um deeply concerned about unless I get a sense that they actually have overstepped their bounds and are banning somebody for a non-reason, non-reason. And we haven't had too many of those situations, Eric. So fair assessment, but uh, that's how I'm seeing it today. And if I'm wrong, well, 
we'll deal with it on a case-by-case basis. All right. Uh, David, I want to wrap up with just uh, one question on a bill signed by Governor Murphy on Monday about esports. And um, I think about uh, Nathan's hot dog eating contest, I believe, too. But uh, (laughs) those those things have been offered in New Jersey already. And yet this bill. So what did what had to be done that this bill had to be signed? And what changes does this mean for the gaming enforcement division? Yeah, I mean, why this came about was because when the original Sports Waging Act was passed, John, there was a clause in there allowed for esports competition. And uh, I think that when we looked at it, we certainly said, well, I know what esports is. Esports is video gaming wagering. It's very common in Europe. Uh, it's not very common in the United States right now. So we went forward to try to, through our regulations, to allow for this video gaming uh, competition, and it could be all sorts of ways, to be utilized by the casinos and racetracks. And as we got more and more into it, um, we've started to get questions from people as to uh, why or where's, what's our authority to allow this to happen. And then the second thing we got involved in is more, learning more about the esports competition that we knew that, you know, it, a lot of the most talented esports players were, you know, essentially under 18 right. or, you know, certainly under the major, age majority to gamble. And that became a... Um, that became an issue of uh, appropriateness associated with esports because obviously you child or minor can't gamble on esports. So in working with the legislature, we were able to sit down with them and ask for clarification in a number of areas that would take either make it very clear that that couldn't happen or give a, an opportunity to uh, answer the questions from the esports operators of how we could effectively partner with a casino or racetrack to offer our games in a way that is consistent with with our our requirements. And um, uh, Selimin Caputo uh, was the, heard this. Uh, He's been very, as you know, he's very much engaged in, uh, rightfully so, in items that are are gaming related in the state of New Jersey. And uh, so essentially the legislation, I think, was more of a clarification on what we perceived was appropriate under the existing sports wagering act. And the operators had, the sports operators had a chance to weigh in and what they thought that was necessary. And then you had this bill. So um, clearly the state of New Jersey from the governor Murphy on down has been very excited uh, about um, the opportunities available to the state to be an esports hub uh, we have an innovation center at Stockton University that is supported by the EDA. Uh, we've certainly worked very closely with uh, EDA and others to make New Jersey a proving ground to make this happen. Um, it's you talk about online gaming being its infancy stages. Esports competition yeah. is definitely in its infancy stages, and I think with this change that amendments that were made, we'll now have an opportunity for the operators and the casinos and racetracks to get together and see that there are other opportunities for them in in this form of competition, right, mm-hmm. that uh, could be done either in person at a retail establishment or online. And remember, if it's online, it fills that gap, John and Eric, with the content, you know, the content. Well, you're not going to have NFL football uh, to bet on, except for certain times of the day. And you're not going to have baseball to bet on a certain time, basketball, certain times of the day for sporting events. So there's a, there's an opportunity for new forms of content 
whether it's be international events or events in other time zones to be offered here in the Eastern Standard time frame of New Jersey. Maybe this works. Jury's still out on it, uh, but I, uh, I'm, I'm optimistic that if it's going to go anywhere, it's going to happen either in New Jersey or Nevada because those two jurisdictions are the most active in trying to create an infrastructure that from a regulatory standpoint that will be um, able to handle uh, esports competition. So it's really in the hands of the operators and the, uh, and their partners right now. And uh, we'll see where it goes, John. I, I really don't know, but uh, you know, we've heard all sorts of numbers being thrown around like how successful it would be, but somebody's going to have to make the leap and, be the guinea pig to roll it out. And um, it won't be us, but I don't think we're going to hear now from the operators that, well, this is an impediment and you're not innovative or you're not, uh, you're not going to allow us to do this because uh, you're pre prohibiting us from engaging in our business model. If they are, we'll deal with it. Um, I'm sure this is uh, where you um, imagined your career heading for a long time. That you would someday be on a podcast talking about esports wagering uh, with, with a couple of other guys. This is uh, it, it was inevitable that it would uh, end up here. And uh, thanks, uh, thanks so much, David, for joining us yeah, on Gamma Line. We really it, appreciate guys. your time. Yeah, I mean, I my my children are a little older right now, and um, they know my technological limitations and uh, it's not unusual to sit around the dinner table or when they come visit and they just laugh at me because they can't believe that somebody that inept in technology could be involved in, in this industry. And um, again, it goes back to what I said. Um, I'm like the conductor. I rely very heavily on a wonderful staff that sees things that I don't. And uh, we have a really great staff here to make things happen. And uh, I think the industry knows that. And uh, we have an open dialogue and atmosphere. And there's things we don't do. So if we don't agree on, the industry knows they'll know why. Uh, we don't play games. And they know that. And I appreciate the open dialogue of dissent, support. But the goal here all along is get back what I said all along. We got a big challenge. If you want to still be the leader, you better deliver. And if you don't, shame on us. Anyway, guys, I appreciate it today. Thank you, Eric and John, for having me on. Thanks, David. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. We'll get to the Fast Five shortly, but first, let's update our betting bankroll, and it was a small step backward week. You actually broke perfectly even with your bets, John. Uh, you crushed it with Notre Dame minus five, never a sweat there. That won us $100, but your golf dar was off. As your three top 20 picks, uh, Hatton, Poulter, and Power all missed the cut. Uh, those three bets totaled $100, so it evened out. Uh, meanwhile, I had one bet graded. And it was one of my more painful beats. I had the Benavidez Davis boxing match over six and a half rounds. And even though Davis hadn't been knocked down, his trainer, uh, a friend of mine, in fact, uh, did the compassionate thing and threw in the towel 48 seconds into the seventh, 42 seconds short of us cashing. Uh, fortunately, I kept the bet small and we only lost $65. 
So we're now down $1,723. We have $1,410 on hold in futures bets. That leaves us with $6,867 available to bet with this week. And I'm up first, and I'm going to place two smaller bets on Thursday night football, uh, two player props. First, I'm taking Patriots tight end Hunter Henry to score a touchdown. Uh, Mac Jones likes looking for Henry in the end zone. He has a touchdown catch in six of the last seven games. Now, that's unsustainable, I think, that pace. But it's fair to say he's 50-50 to score a touchdown in any given game. Um, first, I looked at DraftKings, plus 120 for an anytime touchdown for Henry. Meh. Uh, Fox bet all the way up at plus 180. That's a good bet. But I kept looking and I found plus 210 at points bet. Uh, that's fantastic value. So let's bet $50 to win 105. And then my other bet, another pass catcher for the Patriots, Kendrick Bourne, his line for receptions is two and a half. He's had three or more in seven of the last eight games. Um, he hasn't cleared the bar by much. There are a few threes and fours in there, but like Henry, he's developing a connection with Mac Jones. It's minus 150 on the over at Caesars was the best price I found. I think it's worth paying that juice. Let's do $60 to win $40 on Bourne over two and a half receptions in Atlanta against a slightly below average Falcons pass defense. All right. We'll find out very soon. And uh, uh, you're right. No sweats for me with my bankroll picks last week. That's for <laughs> sure. Um, now, possibly my final golf bets of 2021, thankfully for many of you uh, on the pod here. Uh, this week, we're in sea. <laughs> We're in Sea Island, Georgia, and I'm all over a fine Southern gentleman named Kevin Kistner. Thought the KG veteran would have short odds given his record on this sort of seaside course and this course in particular, where he lost in a playoff a year ago. Instead, we get the 2015 Sea Island champ at 10 units, a plus 4,000 to win it, 20 units of plus 750 for top five, 30 units of plus 350 for top 10, and 40 units of plus 160 for a mere top 20. Okay, really spreading it out with a few different uh, options there on Kistner. Okay. For my second bet, I'm turning to boxing. Uh, can't find a bet I like on the big fight of the weekend, Terrence Crawford versus Sean Porter on Saturday night. But I like a Friday fight, uh, flyweight action, 112 pounders. Yes, there really are grown men who weigh in at 112 pounds, John. Uh, and that isn't even the smallest weight class. Uh, anyway, uh, McWilliams Arroyo is a plus 800 underdog against Julio Cesar Martinez. I think he has a shot at the upset. Uh, anything over about plus 500, I think, presents a little value here. So let's take a crack for 25 bucks. It'll win us $200 if Arroyo pulls it off. Yeah, I, I'm so tempted to make a jockey reference, but I'll get myself <laughs> in all kinds of trouble. So I'm just going to stay away from that and move on. Uh, it seems like everybody is dying to pick against Michigan State versus Ohio State this week and Cincinnati versus SMU against them too in Cincinnati. But the lines have accounted for that, I think. So they're not the easy picks that some believe. So I'm staying away from that. I'm going with Michigan minus 14 and a half over Maryland. I saw 15 elsewhere, didn't find a 14. So settling for minus 14 and a half, uh, 110 to win 100. But the Terrapins keep getting blown out and their offense, not so much. Uh, I count on Coach Harbaugh to grab the late covering TD if needed in a way that Cincinnati failed to do for us a month ago. All right. 
And we finished the show with the Fast Five, where the roles were reversed last week. Um, I won our one head-to-head on a coin flip outcome, I'll admit, with the Saints plus three covering by a single point. Uh, That propelled me to a very John Brennan-like three and two week, my first winning week since week one, if you can believe it. (laughs) While, John, you had a very Eric Raskin-like one and four run out. Uh, But, John, you do remain way ahead overall. You're now 26, 23, and one, and I'm 18 and 32. And I'm up first this week to see if I can build on what I guess passes for momentum. Um, And uh, I'll note that I was all set to pick the Falcons tonight when that number was seven and a half earlier this week, but Superbook has it at six and a half for the contest. So I'm staying away. So instead, Give me the Jaguars getting six at home against the 49ers. This is a line that got inflated by a San Francisco victory last week over the Rams, but it's such an up and down league. I think the look ahead line of plus four was more accurate. The Jags are a bad team, but a competitive bad team. They've won their last two games at home. They should keep this close or at least backdoor it getting six. Next up, another underdog getting maybe a couple of points too many. I like the Colts plus seven in Buffalo. I think the Indy defense can keep Josh Allen in check. The weather is calling for some rain. It's November in Buffalo. You figure on a low scoring game that helps whichever team is getting points. And Jonathan Taylor, he's a a top three running back in the league with Derrick Henry out. The Colts can grind and, and keep this close, I think. Uh, Speaking of top running backs, with Christian McCaffrey all the way back, the Panthers are a competent offense again. They're at home against the football team, giving only three and a half points. I don't love being on the wrong side of the hook, but I still think they're the right side. Cam Newton only took like seven snaps, I believe, last week, but uh, he's reportedly trending toward being the starter over P.J. Walker this week. The Panthers are in the playoff hunt. I think they can cover this line at home. For my fourth pick, it's time to go against my Eagles. Um, I truly have no investment in the outcome. I'm, I'm equal parts interested in them squeaking into a wild card spot or getting the best possible draft pick. I'm kind of okay with it, whichever way it turns out. Uh, but taking fandom out of it, they're favored by two against the Saints, and I don't think it's a good matchup for the Eagles. Nick Sirianni has been establishing the run, and it's been working but the Saints have the best run defense in the league. Alvin Kamara should be back and the Eagles won't be able to stop him. Give me the Saints plus two. And lastly, we go to Minnesota for a battle of two quarterbacks who've somehow found time to study the playbook while also doing all their own COVID vaccine research. Uh, Give me the Packers as two point favorites on the road. They're just a very consistent, reliable team when Aaron Rodgers is in there. They've covered the spread every single week this season from week two on. I will count on them to do it one more time this week. All right. Uh, you know, much of our disparity in results last week was, yeah, you stole the Saints at uh, plus three and I got I kicked in the groin with Titans minus three in the same game. So both of us then would have been two and three. And that's believable, I think. But there's a much bigger problem for <laughs> me. Me, me than being that. three and two is not believable, huh? That's no, what it's you're not. Saying. And uh, <laughs> me being one and four is also not believable. But, but there's a much bigger problem for me. After having made only five really stinker picks in the first nine weeks, I had three last mm-hmm. week. Falcons plus nine and a half versus Cowboys. Cardinals minus 10 versus Panthers. Ouch. And Rams minus four versus 49ers. That's pretty troubling that I could be that far off. So I'm a little nervous now because I, I thought I had something. I mean, you know, the Cowboys result is defensive coordinator Dan Quinn living in his ex-quarterback Matt Ryan's head and mm. no Kyler Murray. And after an encouraging report just before our pick session, by the way, and a surprise arrival of Cam Newton with the Panthers. Okay. That, that kind of, works in uh, well enough. Rams 49ers, 
I have no idea. Other than maybe a healthy George Kittle pulls Jimmy Garoppolo up five notches, I, I guess. But I'm still uh, nervous with as I make these picks now. I, I don't know if I lost my mojo. So here we go. Uh, Lions plus 11 at the Browns. Uh, much of this is shorting a badly banged up quarterback, Baker Mayfield. But right. the Lions found a running game last week. And if Jared Goff can't go, is someone named Tim Boyle definitely a drop off at the Lions? I'm not so sure. Jets plus three and a half first Dolphins. Old man Joe Flacco starts for the Jets, whose defense has collapsed, but he's the right choice of the four quarterbacks that they have if you care about winning this game. And the Jets, for some reason, seem to want to do that. And so, again, two bad teams. I get more than a field goal at home. I'll take it. Eagles minus two versus Saints. I'm going against you here. Okay. I hope this is not just some desperate love for the one team that got me a W last week. Uh, Eagles are slowly improving, I think, with that rookie coach. And then Chiefs minus two and a half versus Cowboys. I hope this is not some bitterness about my getting killed going against the boys on Sunday. But I think the previously spoiled Chiefs, who miraculously lead the AFC West somehow, some way, have gotten their heads out of their Missouris. So, <laughs> and finally, the Giants plus 11 at Buccaneers on Monday night. Maybe I get some Saquon Barkley this week, and maybe Giants coach Joe Judge got some organizational wisdom on the care and feeding of uh, one Tom Brady during the Giants bye week. All right. Uh, this will be interesting because you are uh, taking your chances with some uh, some of the dregs of the NFL. Lions, Jets and Giants are all on your card. Um, Good the, the, Eagles the, too. Right, right. The Eagles are, uh, I guess, not quite dregs, but just half a notch above dregs. But uh, but the, the Jets one in particular, I stared at that line and I was like, ooh, that looks like a good number. I think I should take that. I just don't want to bet on Joe Flacco either way. So that, that was a stay away for me, but I did, I did think about that one, but all right. So we have one head to head, otherwise four independent games. Uh, let's see how it goes. And uh, that will do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, David Rebuck. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. And with that, John, please take us out. Yes, Eric, lately I've been pushing for even casual gamblers in states with competitive lines, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Colorado, and so on, uh, to please at least do the bare minimum and have three or four accounts open so you can line shop. You know, once you make dozens of bets, that extra half point here and there will pay off a few times, quite possibly putting you from just below even to just above even. So it's well worth it. Well, I bumbled my way into another uh, lesson on Sunday after too much procrastinating. I stubbornly stuck to my plan to put a whopping 10 bucks on all seven NFL games in the early window. But in my haste, I accidentally failed to remove the default amount on BetMGM site. So suddenly I had a $50 bet on a single game. Wow, that's the default line. Holy moly. Um, well, it was one of my fast five picks. So even though I was getting two fewer points in real life, I figured, what the heck? I'm betting like a red-blooded jersey for once, and I like the pick. Of course, the random game that I wound up betting 50 bucks on was the Falcons getting seven and a half points from the Cowboys, who took a 36-3 lead at halftime. Yow. I, I deserved it. I had that coming to me, so I, I can't complain. Uh, so kids, stick to line shopping, but don't make bets in haste, because it could come back to bite you. It bit me. And with that, until next time, gamble on, if you have enough time left before kickoff. Gamble on.